All right, everyone. Well, first off, I want to make mention that last week I wore a hoodie, a hoodie while I was preaching. Uh, I didn't think it was a big deal, but uh, it became quite a conversation piece on the chat stream. So I just want to say that that hoodie was actually a sweater that was a gift from my 12-year-old daughter for Christmas. So I was giving honor to my daughter by wearing it. Enough said. This week, I'm wearing a sweater. I hope it satisfies you. Uh, (laughs) We've come to a turning point in our series uh, called The Great Awakening. And uh, we've been looking at the book of Revelation, and specifically over the last month and a half, we've been looking at the seven churches uh, of Revelation. Seven being the number of completion. Every message that Jesus uh, gives to each of these churches is a message for you and I. It is a message for the modern church. It is a message for the, the eternal global church. So if you call yourself a part of the church, that is for you. And by the way, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you are part of the church. And so throughout these these seven messages to the seven churches in ancient Asia Minor, we hear warnings about being persistent in faith, continuing our allegiance to Christ, about letting not letting our faith dry up, about continuing to keeping to keep our eyes on Christ in order to persevere through through difficulties. Now, at the point of revelation that is the most enjoyable to preach, that's where we are now, but chapters four and five are also kind of the doorway to the most difficult chapters in Revelation. Uh, Often chapter four and five are the last chapters that many series on Revelation will reach because after this, things are going to get confusing. Things are going to get very colorful and uh, for for many in the way they're interpreted, scary. Uh, And and for many people, it's been divisive and misused. So we're going to be very careful as we walk through the rest of Revelation. But today we hit chapter four. And, And chapters four and five, really go together as a kind of description of the heavenly throne room, the cosmic throne room. But today we're going to concentrate on chapter four. And the imagery and the beauty and the power of chapter four are so explosive and so so worship-inducing that I want to read the entire chapter before we walk through it. So here we go. You can open your Bibles to Revelation chapter four. John writes this, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and the one seated on the throne, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, the Spirit of God showing His presence in its fullness. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne... On each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. The, the image of Revelation 4 is the, is the framework. We need to get this. Is the framework for everything that is coming afterwards. As Daryl Johnson points out, the, the word look or, or let me show you is the most frequent command in the book of Revelation. Come and see. Look. I will show you. I would suggest that, that the, the degree to which we obey this command to keep our eyes on the one seated on the throne, the fear and anxiety we find ourselves often drowning in will dissipate. We must keep our eyes on the throne room. So come and see, Jesus says. And, and what do we see? Well, the first thing we see is this. The cosmic throne is occupied. Regardless of what you see going on around you, the cosmic throne is occupied. And the one who sits on the throne is one of indescribable power and beauty. John, like he often is throughout Revelation, <laughs> is stretched in so many of his descriptions because it's beyond his abilities. Going back to verses two and three, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. I can't imagine a, an emerald that looks like a rainbow. He, he, he has to keep using these, these, these different words that he's kind of experimenting with to describe. Uh, it says he had the appearance of Jasper and the appearance of Carnelian. Well, John, wait, was it Jasper and Carnelian and emeralds? And John's going, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can, guys. <laughs> it, it was beautiful. <laughs> and, and, and Jasper and Carnelian and emeralds, those are beautiful. And they come in different colors and, and, and shades of orange and green and red. And when the light hits them, they can be shiny and they, they explode with color. I'm doing the best I can, guys. <laughs> so what is John trying to explain to us? That there is some sort of stone-like creature on the, on the cosmic throne? Of course not. He is saying that the king of the universe is beautiful beyond description. As a worship song from my day declared, you are beautiful beyond description. You are too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension like nothing ever seen or heard. The throne on which the indescribable cosmic king sits is exploding with color and sound. It says in verse five, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals. Some translations say voices of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, the seven spirits represents the, the complete spirit of God. There, there's a pointing back here to, the, to the, the way that Moses was brought before God in the Old Testament. The thunders and the lightning around the throne are like the revelation of God's majesty when he gave the law uh, at Mount Sinai to, to Moses personally, but to the children of Israel. Exodus 19 Verse 16 says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp 
tremble. There's, there's colors, there's loudness, there's trumpet blasts. And then in Exodus 20, verse 18, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. It's not by mistake that often when people come before this kind of glory, they fall on their face. There's a sense of holiness and power here that is not to be taken lightly. The throne, the cosmic throne is occupied and his reign is not up for discussion. There will be no debate. The next thing John is invited to see, and so are we, is that the cosmic throne demands worship. Now, a lot of people don't like that phrase. You might say, I don't like that phrase. Demands worship? Who does he think he is to demand worship? He's the risen lamb who was and is and is to come. He is the alpha and the omega. And scripture is very clear. (laughs) Whether it be now or whether it be at his return, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 10 to 11. Even those who are offended by his request, defended by his demand that we bow, will bow. Nothing banishes the pride of mortal flesh or human competition and agendas better than a taste of God's infinite greatness, Craig Keener said. I love that quote. More than that, it's what you were created for. That's an important point. We were created to worship at the cosmic throne. Now, why do I say that? And how do I know? Well, look at the display in Revelation 4.4. In verse 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the throne were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now, who are these guys? Well, as I mentioned in my introduction way back at the beginning of this series, the number 12 and its, and its multiples represent those who follow the Lamb, who follow God. And here we have 24 elders, crowned elders, representatives of the faithful. Now, at the same time of the writing of Revelation, the, the emperor Domitian had 24 bodyguards that would surround him whenever he was out in public. Now, I'm going to suggest that he who holds the keys to life and death and who has proven that death really has no power over him, probably does not need 24 bodyguards. These elders are also clothed in white garments, which represents holiness, which represents being being cleansed, belonging to God. They are holy. They are God's people. So what many scholars believe is that we are most likely, what we have here are the 12 tribes of Israel of the old covenant and the 12 apostles of Jesus after Jesus has inaugurated the church, representing the faithful before Christ and the faithful after. So the faithful of all of history who have been faithful to God are represented here by these 24 elders in white. But jumping ahead for a moment, we we also see four creatures. And I mean, these guys are freaky. These guys are freaky looking. These guys aren't doing well on Tinder. They don't post any pics. Look at the second half of verse six. It says says in in Revelation four, verse six, all around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And this is not the first time we've seen these guys, these kinds of creatures, or at least something very similar. In in Ezekiel chapter one, we see four creatures around the throne of God. And in in this case, each has uh, four faces representing the same four creatures as we see here. In Ezekiel chapter one, verses 10 to 12, it says this. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the fourth had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out, spread out above. And each, each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wings of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. This amazing visual. And they're surrounding the throne of God. They're kind of like his footstool, actually, around the bottom of his throne. And their splendor causes Ezekiel to fall on his face. We also see a hint of something similar in Isaiah 6, although it's not uh, with as much description. And again, John in Revelation has to use the words, they are like. They had the appearance of a lion, an ox, a man, an eagle. Four, as, we, as we've talked about already in the past, is the number of, of kind of explaining all of creation. The four winds means the winds of the earth entirely, coming from everywhere. The four corners means the entire spread of the earth. In ancient writing, if you wanted to say that, that people came from all over the known world, you would say that they came from the four corners of the earth. So the four creatures are most likely meant to represent all of creation. And therefore, the, ro- the proper response of all of creation to its proper king. Now, we get some help in this kind of interpretation from a, a third century Jewish rabbi, actually. Rabbi-, rabbi Abihu wrote this. He said, there are four mighty creatures. The mightiest among the birds is the eagle. The mightiest among the domestic animals is the ox. The mightiest among the wild animals is the lion. And the mightiest of them all is man. And God has taken all of these and secured them to his throne. And these four creatures, covered in all-seeing eyes, represent the proper aim of all creation. And I would suggest maybe they represent a challenge to all of humanity. Their eyes see and they question us. We are all joining in to worship our creator. Will you join in? And Job imagines a similar question in Job 12, verses 7 to 10. He says, but ask the beasts and they'll teach you, the birds of the heavens, and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So he is worthy of our worship. All of creation invites us to join in. And that's what we see here in Revelation 4 as well. Now, earlier I said, worship of God is what we were created for. It is the telos, the aim of our lives. It is planted in our hearts to worship him. But what happens in a fallen world and what steals flourishing from our lives is when that worship is hijacked. You ever wonder why we get caught up in so much stupid stuff? I know I do. <laughs> we, we get uh, addictions big and small, whether it's video games, binge watching, binge eating, what we put into our bodies. You ever surprised at the time you spend doing certain things and how obsessed you can get with certain things? 
Well, it's because you were created for worship. You were created to devote yourself to something. And that something, Scripture says, is a someone. But the minute minute we remove the, the beautiful one who is beyond description from the throne and place something or someone else there, our life is shifted off center. Have you ever wondered why your your back can get up when certain things are challenged in your life? You find yourself lashing out at people? It's probably because you've placed something or someone else on the throne and it's being attacked. Humanist author David Foster Wallace, who was not a Christ follower, but he pointed to this truth. He pointed this out to a group of college graduates at Kenyon College in 2005 in in what is now a very famous quote. He says this. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Why? Why is that true? Because like all of creation, you and I were created for and find our flourishing when our lives are oriented toward our maker. And here's the thing. The great thing about the holy almighty one on the throne is that he cannot be dethroned. There is nothing that is a threat to his power. The church at the end of the first century needed to hear this, and you and I need to hear this and revisit this truth every day. Money and fame can easily be dethroned. Presidents, prime ministers, pastors of megachurches, influence, beauty, they can all easily be dethroned and forgotten. But what one wonders what the impact would be, what it would be on our lives, the decisions we make, the way we forgive and the way we live as disciples of Jesus, how we make the, the little decisions each day that seem small but slowly aim our worship in another direction. One wonders what impact it would have on our lives if we started the day by getting on board with all of creation and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. One wonders how caught up and angry we would get about getting the right person or the right party in the seat of national power if we began our day with, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Man, if we filled our heads with songs of crown him with many crowns and revelation song instead of it's the end of the world as we know it, what that would do for our lives. (laughs) But that's why it's not just a vision for the future. This is a vision for now. The time for orienting our lives around the throne along with the 24 elders and the four creatures is now. This is not just a vision of the future. It's something we're invited to join in today. Worship around the cosmic throne is now. Something very interesting happens halfway through verse 6 in Revelation 4. John's been describing something he saw in the past into what is happening in the present and forever. He says uh, in verse 3, around the throne was a a rainbow. Verse 4, around the throne, there were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. Verse 5, before the throne, there were seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, before the throne, there was a sea of glass. But then halfway through verse 6, he changes and it comes to the present. 
John's saying, what I saw means something for you now. This is not history. This is not past. This is the proper frame of understanding and interpreting the world's experience, the church's experience, and your experience. There are four creatures, and they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, now to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So why this massive picture? Why this amazing display of God as the cosmic king of all creation? Because in everything else that happens in Revelation, and it's going to get pretty wild, (laughs) this picture of the throne room needs to be in the forefront of our minds. Every scary thing and every victory you see in this apocalypse, we need to remember that the one on the throne is in charge and he is not moving. Nothing happens out of the sight of the king of all creation. It is no wonder that the words of so many hymns come from reenacting this image. They've brought comfort to so many for so long that, dare I say, the most beautiful lyrics produced by the church are meditations on chapter 4 and 5 of John's Apocalypse. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voices and with us sing. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drown all music but its own. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. Handel's Messiah, and a close second, Chris Tomlin's We Fall Down. (laughs) We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, and we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. All of these find their inspiration in this beautiful picture of Revelation 4 and 5. Guys, in our lives, the image of the throne room, the, the worship of the one true cosmic king needs to be in the forefront of the experience of the church. It needs to be at the forefront of our hearts and minds when we experience the loss of a loved one, loss of a job maybe, a shift in our lives that we didn't see coming. Every crown you claim and every defeat you lament finds its proper interpretation when it's viewed through the apocalyptic lens of the cosmic throne room. As Craig Keener puts it again, he says, praise puts persecution, poverty, and plagues into perspective. Church, those of you who are questioning and suffering, those of you who are fearfully watching the news stream every day, that the promise of the apocalypse is that there is more to the story, that things are bigger than they seem, that every tragedy you walk through is seen from the throne room and will not have the final say. The lamb who suffered sees, and he who is to come, who is worthy of all praise and honor, who has defeated the power of sin and death, will surely transform all your suffering to joy. Lord Jesus, quickly come. Church, the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and may he give you his peace. I love you and I miss you.